0: Hi there i'm your host jamie mitchell and this is uq sports armchair fan podcast something a little different on today's show we're chatting to one of australia's premier touch football administrators james sharp now our man sharpie he's essentially mr touch footy here at the university of queensland He lives and breathes the sport, and soon you will discover the immense passion that he has for the game. And when I say he wears plenty of hats, I mean it. Club president, volunteer, competition coordinator, social media guru, player, and more. He's a UQ alumni and is also the National Education and Policy Manager at NRL Touch Football. Lots to unpack. James Sharp, up now on the Armchair Fan Podcast. Hello, James. Good to see you. Thanks for having me in, Jamie. Well, it is the Armchair Fan Podcast. I know you're a guru at Club Admin, and we'll talk a lot about that, and there's a lot to dive into. But I do want you to, I guess, indulge me a little bit and talk about your own playing career. So um, you probably don't um, have the opportunity to talk about that too much because you're very much a person putting other groups and organisations first. But I want to talk about... When you pulled on the the Brisbane Broncos kit in the NRL Touch Premiership, running out for the very first time, what was that feeling like when you actually achieved that?
1: Yeah, it's pretty surreal, the uh, opportunity to play on stadiums across the country and especially having probably grown up a Broncos fan. It's just one of those lifelong
0: dreams that you get to to achieve that. What about... um, I guess walking on the Suncorp and and playing out there in front of people. Um, Any sort of memories from from those experiences? I know you played at Adelaide Oval as well, like a a mecca for Australian sport. To actually get there on those cauldrons, um, yeah, what do you take from those? I think it's a real privilege
1: that all of us as players have got to participate in the two years of the Touch Premiership, you know, you sort of have to pinch yourself that you're playing live games on Fox League and KO and you've got fans in the, you know, massive stadiums. It's sort of, especially playing at Suncorp, you know, you dream of that, that when you're a kid watching the, you know, Broncos play or even when you're playing your schoolboy footy of maybe one day getting that opportunity. So for all of us as players to fly around the country and play games live, it's just surreal when you look back on it.
0: In that first season, 2018, Broncos beat the Tigers 6-5 in the grand final, win win the premiership. Um, I know you had different um, amounts. Of a game time throughout the season. But, um, yeah, I guess I guess can you summarise what that achievement was once, you know, the debut season's underway, you've had fans, but to, to finally get a season done and a big grand final and a tight one too, what was that? Occasion? Yeah, so I was sitting in the stands on that day. It was a... <sighs>
1: Probably a challenging personal experience to not be selected, but it's one of those things that I, I like to think of myself as a really good team morale guy. So to be able to be there, watch the boys and, you know, you get to the drop off and we're like, oh, wow, we're a chance today. And then, you know, I think we won and we were meant to be sitting in the dugout at Seabus Stadium down the Gold Coast. And I think the moment that try got scored, we're all screaming onto the field and jumping over the top of each other. And I can't remember who called it. But, you know, I think he says something like the Broncos are going wild and you just see all the boys in there really, you know, ripping in. It's a pretty big achievement to be doing that together.
0: Competition obviously took a bit of a hit with COVID last year. But um, going forward, I mean, how big do you think it'll be for the growth of the game? Certainly bringing a lot of new eyeballs to touch footy. I think it's massive. I think, you know, the old
1: saying, you can't be what you can't see. And touch has always probably been everyone's favourite second sport. So the opportunity for players across country to see that there is a pathway for them to really represent at a high level with you know, the Australian Emus, as we've called it, our national teams, are, you know, our women's team is probably the most dominant team in women's sport, having pretty much never lost a fixture and won every World Cup. So for people to be able to see it on a more broad level on Fox League and, you know, getting away from the old Facebook stream is just huge. And as the NRL club starts seeing more of it, obviously you see the Benji Marshalls and the Kalen Pongers and... JJ Brimson so the more players that come through that touch football to league
0: pathway I think there's a really big opportunity for the sports to continue to collaborate. I know you played with a close mate in James Courtney who represents the UQ Rebels as well he's been in the Broncos team as well any particular memories of JC um, from getting to that stage and playing together?
1: Well, he's just been named in the Queensland men's side and he's easily one of my closest mates. I think probably think back to the old days, 2011, 2012, when we were trying to cut it, you know, make the A-grade men's side at UQ for the first time. And, you know, those hard, long sessions out on the Dust Bowl as it was affectionately known back in the day. And you sort of, you talk about the, you know, dreams and goals. So we always, you know, have a running thing about, you know, wanting to play as many games together while we're still young enough and fit enough. So I'm not quite there for the origin, but I'm stoked to see him have that opportunity
0: to play for Queensland. It's a lifelong dream of his. And when did you get bitten by the touch bugs? I know it's been in your life for a long time, <laughs> but when that actually happened for you?
1: So I went to a uni games in 2010 signed up just on a whim and I'd never really played too much touch then and we played in Toowoomba, there were four men's teams I think we played four games a day across four days, so don't ask how they decided to schedule that. I watched the final and there were just a few really high quality players and I was like, wow, like touch, this is sort of a serious sport, not that social thing. So it wasn't really on
0: your radar as a
1: time sport? No, I was a tennis player when I was at school. So I went to Brisbane State High, played three years of first tennis and was sort of a jack of all trades in other sports, sort of a athletics captain, cross-country captain and that sort of stuff. And then, you know, just fell in love with the team atmosphere of, of touch and joined UQ that year in 2010. And I really never looked back. Yeah, have been here long time. How many uni games, matches did you play for UQ? <laughs> I think I notched up 100 in... I would have been 2016 or 27. I think you filmed that actually. So I've been... That's right. I was there for it. Been around the traps and, you know, it's probably the, the atmosphere and competition element of it's definitely changed in that time. And we've been really blessed to have a high quality mixed team go away and win the last few. So
0: hopefully they get a chance at the end of this year. I should mention while you were at UQ, you studied a Bachelor of Health and Sport. Um, sorry, health, sport and physical education. Uh, so you, you get into the UQ uh, Touch Football Club 2010 through Uni Games Pathway. But then I guess it starts to spiral for you. So obviously a lot of competition and playing, but then you sort of start to move towards the off-field stuff. So where, at what point does that happen and, and how did you get involved in that side of things?
1: Uh, I started doing the Uni Games admin job because Lothi just didn't want to do it in 2011. So I sort of got it thrust upon me and then year on year I was working at Brisbane Boys Grammar in a sort of teaching associate and sport admin role and enjoyed it Um, and then I think like anyone you sort of sit there and go I don't like the direction that maybe the club's going in at the moment and rather than being one of the people that says sits on the outside and points the finger I decided to sort of jump in dive head first and I think my first year on the exec was 2015 and then
0: became president in 2017 and sort of have, have run with the ball since then. We'll dive into the club and the wonderful achievements you've had over the years and some really exciting programs in just a minute. I uh, I do just want to sort of reference the success you have had in this role. Um, And you aren't modest in these these types of things, but in 2018 you were uh, voted UQ Club Administrator of the Year, and in recent days you've also received that award for 2021. So congratulations on that. What makes a good administrator in club sport? Oh, that's a great, great question, I think. Probably
1: one of the most important things in any community sport is having respect for the past, I think. A lot of sports could could do well to recognise the people, be it players or administrators or coaches, who've given back to the club. And I think as sport gets bigger and bigger, sometimes we lose sight of, of those things. And for me, I've always tried to stay grounded and respect the fact that for our club at least and even for Touchable Australia, there are people that years and years ago weren't able to get paid so my job now is fortunate to be a full-time role at TFA but in the past I would have been a volunteer and even at Rebels you know we had people found the club in 1984 that it's easy to run the club when you've got the blueprint it's a lot harder to make those decisions to just start
0: it from scratch. James before we talk a bit more about your role we've NRL touch football, let's talk a bit more about the Rebels and the size of the club and the programs and the amount of people you have. It's a very multi- multi-layered. multi I mean, how many players and teams are we talking about?
1: Uh, at a representative level, the UQ Rebels, we've, we had 13 teams in the Metro Cup last year, so that varied from Premier men's and women's right the way down to Division 3 men's and women's, and we also have had the all-ability side the last two years, which is just a different, I suppose, layer and complexity to the
0: overall club. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute because it's a fascinating program so you've, you've taken on a high role with the club's exec you become president and then somewhere along the way you're starting at UQ. then you um, get a job in sydney working for nrl touch football as the national education and policy manager so you're juggling so many balls here can you talk through running a, a sports club in brisbane from sydney while also doing you know one of the most important jobs in the game in talking about policies and all those types of things how'd you do it Uh, lots of flights on Virgin, so I managed to
1: hit platinum status pretty quickly when I started the role, I think. One of the biggest challenges I faced is I felt really indebted to the people at the club and the club itself for the role that I'd got. So I won that award in 2018. Within a month, a job came up with Touchable Australia, you know, national education policy. And I was like, oh, that's that's me. This is me to a T. I love the game. I was enjoying the admin stuff probably more than I was enjoying the teaching. Applied for it pulled in just about every favour I had within the whole game and got the interview got the job and sort of the rest is history
0: um and you mentioned there that you spent a lot of time you know acknowledging the history of the club um A lot of Australian Queensland representatives have come through, but also it seems in recent times you've got a lot of them actively contributing by way of playing, but also coaching. Can you talk about that layer of representation amongst the club, some big people involved?
1: Yeah, we've been really, really blessed. So Renee Murphy's probably, I, I think of her as the best female coach in you know at least Australian sport, if not world sport. She's been at our club for over 30 years now, Outstanding player, Touchable Australia Hall of Fame member, then transitioned to a coaching role and, you know, Phil Guymore, Australian men's head coach, Jason Boyd, Australian men's assistant, Queensland men's. So we're just blessed with a stable of really high quality people. And that's been the biggest thing that I've learned in my time at the club is if you've got really good people that you just give them the keys and let them drive and sort of hope that the club heads
0: in the general direction that you're leading it in. Obviously, on-field performance is lifted with people like that, but I guess one of the other sort of of benefits that you've seen perhaps from your view as president that other people would see, I notice. So I assume it brings a whole lot of different um, members, you know, a, a bigger, a different audience than previous because you've got such incredible coaches and uh, a bit of a progression chart, I guess, coming through the club. Is that some of the main positives you get? Yeah, I think as we evolve
1: and as we grow one of the big goals I have is that if you're an eight-year-old kid who wants to join a, a sport or you're you know an 80 year old who wants to play something social with their mates that our club can cater to all levels and all types of player I think touch you know has the power to be that for everyone's lives and give you a sense of belonging within a, a community or as one of our sort of key values says family you know once you're in you belong it doesn't matter whether you're the best player in the world like a Justin Cridland or whether you're a social player like James sharp in
0: 2010 it We'll we'll accept you for who you are and go from there. So let's talk about that and particularly the All Abilities Program, um, which is a tremendous concept. So launched by Touch Football Australia. UQ is the only university club in Australia delivering this program, what is it? What's involved? Tell us about it.
1: So the All Abilities Program is effectively a, an inclusive space for people with intellectual or physical disabilities to be able to participate in the sport. So uh, credit has to go to Graham Clancy, who is from down the Gold Coast. He was working at a special school and played for the Queensland Men's Side and the Gold Coast Titans as well, and was selected in you know number of teams and had students at his school say oh, I want to play touch like you Mr Clancy and you know like like all of us sit there and go oh, how can we make this possible and he came up with this plan down the, down the Gold Coast and it's sort of slowly but surely been moved out and rolled out through the country through a Sport Oz grant.
0: So how do the games and the, the program vary? So is it mixed gender, mixed ages and from what I understand researching too, there might be particular participants that may need um, on-field assistance so they perhaps for a, lack of a better term have like a minder on the field, is that right? The- yeah so I suppose our Metro Cup side are, are probably far more mainstream athletes with
1: with less physical um, impact and then obviously the All Abilities program is sort of a very entry level first exposure to it and my experience with it especially like at State Cup last year we had a tent with I think it was eight or nine teams total from the club and some of the All Abilities players rather than hang out in the All Abilities tent came and hung out with us and you just sort of see the joy on their faces and you get reminded of you know what sport is actually all about because we'd lost the game we're sort of sitting there a few of the boys heads down a bit figuring out what we needed to change leading into the final game of the day and you have some of those athletes sitting there wanted to high five you and talk to you and you just remember that you know to
0: to be able to participate in the sport at, at your choice you've got the ability to be part of something How's that program grown just not in our club here at UQ but also around the country what sort of growth? Uh,
1: yeah so it's been it's been amazing we've we've rolled it out I think in, in locations across all of Australia uh, so hopefully that program continues to be supported by clubs across the country and it's a really important thing for us as a sport to do you know we we as a I suppose, in an organisation, we talk about inclusiveness and it gives us the opportunity to
0: really live out that value rather than just talk to it. In doing a bit of prep for the chat, I was having a look at the program. It seems in in terms of breaking down barriers, so obviously we're giving people an avenue to play. But also like cost, like we're talking about like a 10-week program for I think it was like $60 um, as well. What It's incredible that, but what other kind of barriers, I guess, does it break? to allow people to, you know, compete?
1: Well, I think the biggest thing, you know, touch is a relatively cheap sport when you compare it to other, you know, ma- more major mainstream sports. So we've got the opportunity to deliver that program where uh, it's sort of supported by the club itself as well. We, we see it, at least at UQ, it's just the right thing to do. There's not really a choice in that. So we, we do it because we see value in, in giving back to the community, you know, associations. As they get bigger, it's important
0: to stay connected to that grassroots area. You mentioned that experience of being a bit downtrodden after a loss, and you know one of the all abilities players came over, and I guess that brings people up. But are there any particular moments or memories from um, since the program's launch that perhaps really impacted you?
1: Uh, I'd seen the kids or the athletes in that team received the UQ Rebels representative singlets last year that were exactly the same as everyone else in the club. It's just a really cool thing where they're going, oh man, this is and awesome. Can't believe we're part of it. And they get the opportunity to be exactly the same, recognised as just another member of the club, which I think it's really cool to see that experience for those people, it sort of keeps you
0: going in those in those moments. I've also seen a lot of club members, um, you know, volunteer their time of training as well. That, that seemed to be one of the major um, elements of the program where a lot of people will get involved um, yes. without being asked perhaps.
1: Yeah, so our Metro Cup program, and even at State Cup, we had sort of a number of celebrity guest appearances, I suppose you'd call them. So a number of players jump in and play a game here or there when time permits, and it's just a good chance for the players at our club to also remember that, you know, it's all, it's all about being equal at the club, and that's sort of what we've been built on since we were founded. We've always supported those who support us, and it's
0: we're really blessed to have a connected community. You talk there about playing kit and presenting it to the All Abilities players. I've noticed in the club... Um, indigenous artworks really become part of the playing uniform. And as I understand it, um, the only touch football club in Queensland to incorporate indigenous artwork in their uniforms, but talk about that push to, um, you know, get, gain some deeper roots with our, uh, you know, indigenous, um, people, you know, players in the club as well.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I can only speak from this, from my own personal experience. I'm not, I'm not indigenous, uh, but I do have friends that are. And I think one of the biggest things I've always noticed is, you know, these major sport leagues will do a one-off indigenous round and it's a big celebration of culture, which is awesome. But then for the other 22 rounds, it's just back to normal. So for us touch football, unfortunately we don't have the, the big money coming in to buy, buy different sets of kits. So I viewed it during COVID, I had a bit more spare time on my hands and I sort of viewed it, that it was a great opportunity to integrate it. And, you know, true reconciliation is all of us walking side by side. So for us to incorporate that as just part part of our overall uniform was a really big step and we had a number of players from outside the club come up and commend us on on what we were doing and you know we've got an Indigenous jersey ready for NAIDOC week this week or this year I should say which is a full-blown Indigenous artwork which is just an incredible piece
0: thanks to our friends at Tribal as well for that. That's very cool initiative um something else I wanted to talk to you about um Bowl. <laughs> does that come from um pro it does indeed. So the first uh, <laughs> Not so. first uni games we ever went to, we were the uh,
1: UQ Tropics. And we ran the quotes nonstop throughout that. And as we started, or I started getting more involved in the admin, it was a long-standing joke that if we ever run a, you know, a drafted style competition, we got to call the UQ Mega Bowl. Just think of the marketing and, you know, we're like, oh, Jackie Moon, you know, basketball player, coach, marketing extraordinaire. And we sort of just ran with it and it's a good opportunity to engage. So a bit of fun
0: there tied into it, but also pretty serious competition from all accounts.
1: Yeah, it provides a really good pathway for that social player who maybe has never played representative touch to have the opportunity to step in. So I remember when I was at UQ, to play social touch, you got to find a group of mates and you've got to then pay the team fee all in one go. And, you know, my mates were notorious for not paying me back for the beer they had, let alone the fees. So being an individual registration, you express interest, give us a bit of playing history, and then we sort of select captains out of our premier men's and women's teams and rotate through that, give them the opportunity. To to draft a team and a bit of bragging rights to see
0: who can get the W. Let's talk about Metro Cup results, particularly last year. You had a great year despite um, COVID hitting and all those challenges. But the Metro Cup, so the premier competition in Brisbane, 13 sides, five titles, eight grand finals and a fourth successive club championship. In terms of the club championship, I uh, Is that what you're most proud of, or is the titles, or is it hard to split those achievements? I think as a
1: club, our overall goal is always to to be there or thereabouts. We're very blessed with just an incredible amount of playing and coaching talent at the club, but that's obviously the end game of the goal is to to be there or thereabouts for the club championship and the A grade and B grade, or
0: sorry, A grade men's and women's. What's been the main, um, I guess, improvements over the last couple of years that have led to such success? I mean, it's been sustained now. Yeah for a number of years which must be pleasing
1: oh yeah I think uh, the credit's got to go to the players and coaches in 2017 when I first stepped in as president we were really able to streamline how our pathways work from you know premier down to division one division two and with the introduction of division three last year gave us the opportunity to maintain connection with more and more people so we've been able to split at least on our men's side sort of gold is the young up and comers progressing up the proverbial pathway and then our Marone teams are more masters based so when you are sort of done with your top-end playing career. you still got a place at the club and...
0: We'll talk. I want to come back to the State Cup results from last year, but I'm, I'm curious to pick your brain about progression. So from what I understand, in the club, you've got a bit of a system where there's like a, um, like a coaching director, but basically someone that really oversees progression and um, guiding players throughout competitions and helping them progress. How, how does that sort of play out for the Rebels? Uh, so for us, we, we
1: were very lucky, Phil Guymore, stepped into the role for last year and it basically came about, I viewed it that our men's and women's head coaches are amazing in, in Boydie and Renee but they also need their own support internally so it's having someone like Phil who, I mean, his playing and coaching resume speaks for itself so to have him involved in our club program, that means our B and C and D grade coaches have someone to talk to about their own development because Renee and Boydie they have their own job on Friday night and that's the highest pressure job our club has to offer so being able to offer support through the program. It's just, I suppose, for us, we're trying to stay ahead of the curve. We've been successful, but it's important not to sit back and go, pat ourselves on the back and go, oh, we've done a great job. That'll do. We're consistently trying to find
0: ways to pursue excellence. Was it difficult to... Not lure. That's not the right word. But you've got Australian coaches that have um, significant time drain through their national, um, you know, job that they're doing. But they're also putting a lot back into the club football. Was it difficult to attract and keep those high-level coaches, or did you find that because of their love of the club, they're ready to do it? it? Seems like a tough one to get. I mean, the caliber of coaches, incredible. Yeah, we've been really lucky. Like they've all sort of come through
1: our club system, so they're very committed to to the club itself. And I think I'm a sucker for punishment because I've ended up with handshake deals with all three of them that as long as I'm around, they'll continue coaching. So I think it's, going to turn into a Mexican standoff at some point in time where we <laughs> go, all right,
0: someone's got to... <laughs> someone's got to part way. Yeah. yeah, effectively. Hey, Queensland State Cup last year, nine sides competed, first ever attended to that competition, um, runners up in the premier women's competition as well. Um, can you, for those that aren't familiar with the competition, can you give us a bit of a snapshot of what it is, but also the results? I mean, how how is that um, seen by the club?
1: Yeah, so we participated in... 2019. That was the first time the event had come back, but we weren't, I suppose, a standalone entity. We were under the BMTA association banner. So through our sort of affiliation uh, with Queensland Touch and Touch Purple Australia, we were able to enter as a standalone entity and uh, that's effectively associations from all across Queensland. So Townsville, right down to, you know, Palm Beach. There's clubs from
0: all over Queensland that are participating. So it's the best of the best in the state playing against each other. And the results, so women's premier side did, uh, you know, runners-up as well, uh, above expectations or that we you expected to be?
1: Oh, look, I think they would have loved to win. They, they went down by one in the Metro Cup grand final against Colts. So they've played four years in a row against that side in Metro Cup. Won three out of the four, and going into state cup, they played. I think they played eight round games or something outrageous. So the grand final was the ninth game of the carnival. It's you know nearly summer in in Queensland. It's quite warm, so it was just a, a slog. And that Caboolture team is really well coached. So me personally I couldn't be prouder of those girls. They've time and time
0: again shown resilience for our club in those comps. Hey, you mentioned affiliation there um, throughout the conversation, but a significant situation for the club so now affiliated with Touch Football Australia and also Queensland Touch Football and as I understand it's really led to a big increase in student participation but how's that really benefited the club? Well I think it's
1: important as any UQ sport club we've got to maintain our engagement with the UQ community so I think through the you know, being a, affiliated with Touchable Australia means we get marketing through their website. So if someone types in the St. Lucia postcode, our club will pop up and they can, you know, choose to register into our competition. I think one of the biggest things we did was divert away from a team fee model and go to an individual. So if a uni student who doesn't have too many mates on campus wants to play a bit of touch, we'll accept their registration as an individual and form teams
0: for them. One thing I did want to talk to you in a little bit more detail. So we, we mentioned honouring the past previously, and I've been lucky enough to go to a Rebels trophy night. One thing that really struck me was um, there's there's like a hall of fame system that have been introduced, um, and also sort of honouring player numbers, so recognising players, um, I guess they're part of the journey in the club. But the Hall of Fame specifically, it seemed to strike a lot of members um, quite emotionally as well, to be honoured in that way. How's that been received by the club?
1: Yeah, so that came about the first state cup we ever played, and we'd always talked about being able to respect the players when they played for the Prem side. And unfortunately with touch football, and I'm sure there's other sports that like that, we just don't have the records dating back, especially to 84. So for us, the State Cup provided a really clear opportunity to recognise those players. And, uh, you know, speaking to some of the former players who a few of them are life members about, I didn't personally see it right to label the captain of the first side to be the number one rebel because there were 30 plus years of history that sort of led to that point. So for us going through that process and, you know, consulting with a number of players from the club's history about who the best players were in their time. And we came up with a process of, you know, a minimum of five years playing for the club, consistently committed to the cause of the club and sort of people that when you thought about them as a player, you went, yeah, that's a rebel. And then that was sort of the, the grounding of it. And we, we probably had 25, 30 players we could think of, and then we sort of just slowly refined it to the point where, you know, 1 to 14, that's immortalised forever as our inaugural Hall of Fame, and then I think in men's it was players 15 to 29 that, that got the opportunity to get their own rebel number and that for them you know look at the Queensland Maroons you know
0: the fog number that's that's their number and that's their opportunity to leave that legacy for that within that inaugural hall of fame class is there a name or a few names that stand out as epitomizing what it is to be a rebel oh I mean I think all 14 names
1: are pretty incredible people I think we've been incredibly blessed. So Scott Notley, who's a life member as well. He is one of, if not the greatest player to ever play the game in men's Phil Guymore, who's returned rebel number 12. There's, You know, players that I idolise when I joined the club that missed out on that. So the the calibre of names and, you know, Renee Murphy and Kerry Norman, who are both Hall of Fame members for Touchable Australia, there's just so many players that we've been blessed to have come through the club and commit to us, which is a really, I suppose, positive legacy for the club to continue.
0: I had a great night. Um, I think it was Kerry you are talking about. She was one of the key figures that sort of brought the club up from the Gold Coast. To Brisbane to launch, like 84 I think it was right, mm-hmm. um, yeah it's a it, tremendous concept and it uh, really struck me, um, a couple of questions before we finish with a little bit more around your role at NRL Touch Football but um, 2021, how's it shaping? I guess things are getting back to normal and sports happening again um, how's the year look ahead for the Rebels?
1: Yeah, so we're sort of starting to get preparations underway for the Metro Cup trials in May. And then sort of the challenge this year is State of Origins in the middle of June. So that will interrupt our prep for our top teams. But the good news is those players will be in tip-top shape leading into the season. And I suppose we, we review and refine what we did last year in State Cup. You know, we were really positive in the way we'd gone for our first proper crack at it. So we'll, you know, refine a few little bits and pieces and just continue to try and pursue
0: excellence. What about yourself, playing-wise? NRL Touch Premiership back?
1: Uh, No NRL Touch Premiership this year. There is, I would say it's on the cards. For next year, the NRL clubs are pretty interested in it. Uh, Me, I mean, we won... Probably the most amazing game I've ever played it in my life last year in the men's prem so it's a privilege to play in that jersey any time so I'd like to like to go again with those that group of boys so interesting
0: year for yourself sort of coming back from Sydney um, back to Brisbane but also continuing in your role with Royal Touch football can you expand a little bit more on this national education and policy manager role so it sounds like it um, covers everything in the game is that right?
1: yeah Touch football, we, are, we run on, a, a I suppose, a smaller crew than what the, the bigger NSOs have. So I'm very much the jack of all trades and I, I love my job. It's a privilege to work in a sport that you're actually connected to. So, uh, I mean, I vary from coach, referee, and referee coach education work, so designing and developing those courses to development of policy. So I work closely with Sport Integrity Australia in an integrity space and I was involved in the delivery
0: of our transgender and gender diverse inclusion guidelines last year. I want to talk about that. So a significant project... Uh, I guess what are the key learnings you found um, out of that policy? Because I, under, as you know, someone outside looking in, that must be incredibly difficult to try and get a policy that works for all stakeholders, but it also encourages transgender people to take up the game.
1: Yeah, I think like I, early on when I received the project, I was very concerned and very confused, just because I don't I don't necessarily come from that background. I have too much connection to the LGBTQ community. However, you sit in and listen to the case studies and people's examples of the just horrific exclusion that they've faced, and your your heart just breaks because, for you and I, we rock up to. UQ Sport and say, so I want to join that club and away you go. And it's amazing. And everyone's saying, come have a beer after. So for me to sit in those those workshops and hear the stories of people and, you know, understand that the work we're doing, you know, and all sports that are involved in this space are doing is literally saving lives. I think you sort of just have to sit back and recognise that, you know, sport is for everyone and it's a place that should be a safe
0: space for people to participate. For someone in that situation, is there an entryway right now into the game, or is it something that's will we'll be coming in the near future?
1: No, nah, so we as a sport... <sighs> have effectively adopted a, a, an approach at an affiliate level. So our, our grassroots social community competitions that you are able to participate based on your gender identity. And, and we're really passionate about ensuring fairness for all and touches one of those sports where, as I said, you can just be part of the community and feel welcomed and, and part of something. So we don't want people to view our sport as exclusionary. And that's, again, you know, speaking back to that point of, you know, we, walk, we talk about inclusion and launching those guidelines and understanding the stories and life experiences of people who who come from that community, to know that they are now feeling
0: welcome and able to participate, it's just incredible. It's a significant um, breakthrough, and I hope we see that across a lot of sports, so congratulations on that. Um, One thing to close, um, I know talking to you over the years, you're just so incredibly passionate about touch football, but specifically touch football at UQ. If you can sum it up, what does it mean to you to be a UQ Rebel? Oh, geez. So we
1: came out with our uh, club values last year, which I suppose I drove in my spare time during COVID. Um, You know, we talk about passion, excellence and family. And I think family is the biggest one, that when you're part of that or our club, you are welcome for who you are, regardless of where you come from, what standard of player you are, you know, how you identify, what race you are. And I think to be able to be that at a university like UQ and to be, you know, such a great on-field performer as a club, that's just one element of what we do. I think we're a really tight-knit club across everything we do, be it the
0: social comp on a Monday or Wednesday or, you know, representative space, we accept you for who you are. Uh, Well summed up. And again, congratulations. 2021 UQ Club Administrator of the Year. Well-deserved. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks, mate. It's
1: Definitely an honour to be listed amongst some of the winners of that and knowing some of the clubs have professional staff. So to be able to be recognised like that as a a volunteer and doing it in his spare
0: time, it's really humbling. Well, look forward to many more exciting journeys, competition results, all sorts of stuff happening this year. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, mate. Thanks to James for dropping by. And if you're craving more Touch Footy Chat, check out episode 12 of Touch World Cup winner Justin Cridland. You'll find that episode as well as our back catalogue on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That's the show. More great guests coming up on the Armchair Fan Podcast.